0: everybody and welcome to another episode of Fuds on Film. I am Craig Eastman and today as always with me Scott Morris. Hello! Andrew Tavendale. I protest. On this, dare <laughs> <laughs> ask why?
1: Well I'm not as solid as we'd be about it being a century but this isn't the end of a decade. No it's not. I can count.
0: No. <laughs> Well, you know, don't 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 do that thing because we had this all at the Millennium. Nobody cares, Drew. Only you. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yes, but that's fine because i ain't me.
0: Good, good. We didn't start with the year zero. That's what Drew's trying to tell you. So. um Aside from that, uh, in our decade review show, which is what we are doing this episode, uh, we will not be looking necessarily at our favourite movies from the last decade, because I think it's safe to say that podcasts on that topic are ten a penny. Um, instead, we are going to be taking a bit of a dive into the trends that have emerged in the movie-going um, experience over these last 10 years or so, um, how they're shaping up, how we feel about them, what they will probably or may look like going forward, um, and whether or not we should all be gratefully feared uh, for our beloved cinema chains. So I think first and foremost, if we start with the first trend that I posited, uh, which from which I think probably a lot of the other discussions will um arise naturally, mm-hmm. um, and we'll work our way around them as we as we see fit as we move forward. Um, but I think it's probably safe to say that the biggest change to the cinematic landscape and people's viewing habits over the last 10 years has been the rise of streaming services. Perhaps the biggest change to the fabric of cinema since the introduction of sound, yes, even bigger than 3D. Nothing defines the shape of the last decade in cinema viewing quite so much as the advent and the rise of streaming services spearheaded by Netflix and now so de facto a part of brand portfolios that Disney, Apple and pretty much everyone else have had their hands forced into joining the arena. While cable pioneers like HBO may have laid the groundwork for this kind of thing as far back as the 80s, the streaming platforms differ in scale and intent in that they have overtly staked their claim as challenges to the traditional business of distributing and exhibiting movies, demonstrating their willingness to spend as much, if not more, capital on their product than the studio system. Coupled with the proliferation of ever-larger, high-quality digital consumer displays and sound systems, the streamers have leveraged the fact that the average consumer setup is now at least on a par with a low-end cinema experience, and four to five grand, probably, if you want to spend it, will get you somewhere equal to the best. I suppose, generally speaking, just eeny meenie miny more. Drew, I'm going to punt to you, are you pro-streaming?
1: In general, I would say yes. Uh, it is undoubtedly convenient uh which in many cases can overcome the inherent poorer video quality, although that's getting better itself. Mm. Uh, and there's a huge library available at your fingertips. I'm slightly less happy about the fact that I was already paralyzed by choice when it came to just disk-based media. Mm. Mm. Things are considerably worse now. Uh But yes, in, in general, I... I see no problem with it. I prefer the cinema experience, and my only worry is that it, it may lead eventually to cinemas going away, mm-hmm. but in terms of it's a useful technology, it's fine. And it's maybe just, you know, handily showing up the fact that Steven Spielberg's fully got into his crotchety old man's face. <laughs> <laughs> because, well, um, while well, you might prefer the cinema experience... The the films themselves are still films; they haven't changed just because of the medium you watch them on.
0: Quite is there still so is there still value in paying fifteen pound to sit in a dark room among other people's farts with no ushers to wrangle the mobile phone users and no projectionist to notice that the focus is out of out for the first fifteen minutes? Is that still something that you're willing to do, or or to put it another way, do you do you mind if home viewing becomes the default and cinema becomes the occasional treat?
2: That's uh-huh. really what it is for me. In the minute, anyway, having moved like an hour away from the nearest cinema and an mm. hour back, then it is certainly rarer that I go there. It's uh, I I still want to go to the cinema though. I would still there's, there's no film that I've seen, even for the films that really aren't particularly enhanced by being in a cinema, that I've not watched that at home and thought I'd probably rather have seen that in
1: the cinema. Yes, I uh, prefer. There, you can't really beat a um, expensive cinema sound system and like the fifty foot high screen. You know. They're, there is no um, equivalent.
0: Hmm. We'll talk about, I suppose, because one of the points, obviously, we're going to talk about later, and this is, this is not to jump the gun, but it is literally, I suppose, the last point on the list, so it's worth mentioning now that we yeah. will get around to it, is the cinema experience and the fact that cinema seem to be doubling down on gimmicks uh, in the meantime. I hadn't really considered from your point of view, Scott, that I suppose as prolific as cinemas have become in the last 20 years, because I feel like there was a period there where actually the cinema, the, the number of cinemas started to shrink. And I don't know if, yeah. I don't know if the figures, you know, if paper paperwork will back that up. I feel like there was a point where sort of cinemas were disappearing out of towns, but then they started to reemerge again in the sort of out of town shopping parks, etc. cetera. Mm. Um, and they seem to be more prolific than ever now. But having said that, there is still a sizable, you know, number of people in any, any given country, I suppose, where you would fall into this bracket, Scott, where it's not just a, you know, a 10 minute trip in the car to actually get to a cinema. So I suppose hmm. you might feel quite differently about it than myself or Drew do, where we have the option of being sort of 15, 20 minutes away from a cinema if needs be, if the urge takes us. Um, so I guess, yeah, I guess I hadn't considered that. I don't. I don't know. I'm always, I always find myself questioning my, my own, my own perspective and stuff. When I find myself questioning change and being a miserly (laughs) old grump about it, I usually stop and, and think, right, as an immediate response to myself, I'm going to assume I'm probably wrong, but I'm not in a position whereby, um, like, I, I haven't spent four to five grand on a home cinema system at the minute. So my experience at home is okay. I okay. don't have an issue with it. I have a decent enough sound setup. I've got a decent enough television, but I'm not going to get the full experience of um, you know something like the next Christopher Nolan film is undoubtedly going to be better in a cinema yeah. than it is in my my home setup. Yeah, but the, the I best suppose the prevailing attitudes is that people are less inclined to worry about that, and you know, there are a generation of. Growing up, watching that kind of thing on their mobile phones—if we're—if we're, you know, if we're uh, to believe what we're being told—yeah,
2: I, I do think it is. When filmmakers complain about this, I can at least see some of the point. I mean, particularly if it's something like um, Mad Max is a particular one for me. Watching that in the cinema with all the huge bass traps and everything going around it was a heck of an experience. And I've watched it at home since. I still like the film, but it's nothing like the same without that cinematic experience that's there around it. So, yeah. Uh, but there are so many films where it doesn't really make a great deal of difference. And the convenience of it is so much greater. Um, or at least it was Um, when Netflix really came into its ascendancy, when it was basically everything you wanted was a Netflix. It seemed like an ideal fantasy land. And then Amazon started pushing Prime. It's like, okay, now I need Netflix and Prime and to balance where mm. something's going to be. And, as you mentioned, the proliferation of it, it means that this is getting progressively worse to the point where it's now easier um, to go back to torrenting stuff. So I think that's probably <laughs> where... That, <laughs> the future of streaming is going to be torrents until enough of them fail to get back down to some sort of sustainable it's procedure.
1: <laughs> exactly, Scott, because they didn't learn their lesson, did they? Mm-hmm. The reason that um, pirating took off was because like, fast internet connections were available and it was much more convenient than having to pay for all of the channels on cable Then things like Netflix take off. There's only one or two services, say them and Amazon, as you mm. mentioned. It's really convenient. People think, well, I'll pay for this. It's not that expensive and it's convenient. But now yeah. everyone's taken all their own content back in-house. Everyone said, we need to have a streaming platform. And then so the bill ends up being as much as it was for all the cable TV that people got rid of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's just because the people that run these companies are morons. Yes, mm. <laughs> like, We've got to have our own one instead of just like, oh no, let's just... um Keep selling it to Netflix and then people will go to Netflix and we'll get a nice steady income stream from selling trends to Netflix or yeah. TV in that case, obviously. But, um, I mean, no, these these people are greedy morons We can't see, if, um, we don't want, want the f-
0: bigger slice of the pie, we want more pies.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> pies What's everywhere.
0: Inter- <laughs> What's interesting to me about that, right, is, is that, yes, the argument about the fact that, right, uh, you know, all in, uh, pick, pick, Three or four of these streaming services. I mean, I only use Netflix at the minute. I, I have a vested interest having two young kids in thinking about Disney Plus when yeah. it becomes available over here. But again, to, uh, as an aside, in the meantime, am I going to torrent The Mandalorian? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> um, but I still think, you know, with the combined price of those approaching a, you know, something that you might pay for a cable package. I would still argue that the breadth and quality of content from the streaming services for that same, same price as a cable package is much higher than the general output that would be available through a cable package. And the thing that I'm really struggling to understand at the minute, and again, we'll probably talk about this in relation to a couple of the other topics we talk about tonight, but in terms of that quality of output, what is it that's driving that, and is it sustainable? Um, because I feel like the general quality of content, or certainly the marquee stuff, has gone up, and there's maybe just more volume of the marquee stuff. I mean, okay, for, for, every, um, for every Irishman, yes, there may well be a six underground and I shouldn't say that because I've not watched Six Underground yet, but what is it that's driving the quality of that stuff because I feel like that is what's making as or at least as much as the convenience of streaming, which I think will still probably out over Torrenton. I think Torrington's more to do just a cost thing in terms of people would rather torrent something for free than pay a pound for it never mind, never mm-hmm. mind fifteen twenty thirty quids. Um, for a, for a couple of, um, streaming packages. Um, what is it, what is it that's driving that quality? Is it, is it competition? And as this kind of settles down and three or four major, you know, streaming platforms, uh, which you could probably argue there are already, you could probably argue that there's a good case to be made that we can have a, we can take a pop at sussing how this is going to pan out now already. But you're going to end up with Netflix, certainly and Disney+, Plus, and whether or not they consolidate some of the other streaming platforms as as they inevitably sort of fail. Um, does then that lack of competition mean that the quality of streaming platforms is going to decrease? Or is there something inherent in what these platforms are doing that just means we're getting better quality content? Hmm.
2: I think it's... We've seen it in other markets when, when there's lack of competition, then quality does either progress tends to stall Mm. um, in pretty much any market you can think of. So, I suppose logically it would would depend if those remaining still need to keep producing enough high-quality stuff in order to keep selling their services, which could well be enough. Um, Mm. Certainly... Even pre-streaming, HBO was pushing enough contents to go and make Game of Thrones and throw mm-hmm. all these other uh, prestige shows that it needed that as a halo to drag and all the rest. I can see the same being true. Even if you do get down to Disney and Amazon and Netflix, that's probably enough. They need to keep pushing enough good new content mm. and a backlog of old stuff to, to go through to make it worth their
0: £10, £12, £13 a month, whatever yeah. it winds up being in the in the future. So, Because I do yeah. think the point at which that creativity drops off or the, the quality of content of regular content drops off is probably the point at which we will see um subscriber numbers dropping off, and you will start to see stuff being even more significantly torrented than as presumably being in you know the meantime because but, there is still a hell of a <laughs> yeah. still hell of a marketplace for torrenting though it doesn 't seem to be doing any damage to these um you know, it doesn't seem to be having a massive impact on any of these platforms at the minute. I do wonder if it will do going forward if if there is that lack of competition. But the other hmm. access is probably the breadth of it. I mean, there's so many weirder, nicheer contents that you
2: can find in these platforms mm-hmm. and uh, presumably someone's watching it. I mean, I don't think it's actually a streaming one. It's maybe um, American TV of some nature, but there's all hosts of DC properties that are showing up in like, you know, Supergirl and The Flash and Legends of Tomorrow and all these ones that no one cares or has heard about. <laughs> yeah. I, I can't believe anyone really watches it, but apparently there are enough people that are watching it and supporting that content to keep making more of it. Yeah, it's in series and series of it. So um, that's the sort of thing you might see. Sort of a, uh, enough of an interest from around the world in particular niche properties that can then sustain that kind of content going forward, which you couldn't do if all you were, if certainly in the days when all you had was four terrestrial channels. So perhaps the kind of more fractured audience in that regard may help it um, to produce more interesting stuff for particular little niches of, of the audience.
0: Hmm. And where does streaming overall go moving forward then?
2: Well, it will continue doing what it has been doing. It's, it's going to keep on just snowballing and picking up more and more content in the hope that uh, it will there, there will be enough there in the aggregate that everyone will want to pay ten pound a month to access it. Um, that seems to be the way it seems to be going. Um, with the newer services, they will probably start falling by the wayside, apart from the ones that are have in very deep pockets, such as Disney and/or and/or unique content. Um, but the, the the attempts by various terrestrial channels to become their own streaming services like the CBS All Access, and, yeah. um, the the various platforms that most of the British uh, servers are trying to uh, band together to try and, I believe, mostly to sell to Americas, but also somehow to sell our own content that we paid for back to us with uh, BritBox and these kind of things. Yeah. Um, th- those will die in a fire almost instantly um they, they don't have much longer for this world um but yes uh, the, the bigger fish are probably here to stay
0: hmm. yeah i do wonder what we'll see in terms of consolidation and stuff moving forward because it's almost inevitable and i was having this conversation with someone the other day about what happens if um what's apple is it apple tv plus yeah yes that's what they're calling it it's not the most catchy of monikers to start <laughs> no. with i think but um Someone was talking to me the other day about the fact that, well, it's already, it's already dying on its arse. Um, well, it's probably a bit premature to say that because Apple are just, we probably won't know for 12 months anyway because Apple just seems to be giving people 12 months of it free with, you know. Yeah. The purchase of uh, you know any, <laughs> anything. Also, so you are talking about deep pockets. Then, <laughs>
1: yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. The well, of pockets.
0: This this is the conversation I had. They said, "Well, it's going to die, in it's arse and Apple will have to rethink." And I but, said to them, "Well, based does, on what? Yeah, does it's a bit premature?" But I said, "If that does happen and it and it falls flat in it's arse, does Apple just buy Disney? Because they could <laughs> they probably have yeah. they probably have the capital to do it. Um, <laughs> I think there are other options for Apple moving forward if they need it, but."
1: Let's just set aside the fact that as far as more, Apple only did TV just now, so well out with our wheelhouse for our podcast and Mm. focus on films. But I think that even starts based on what? And if Netflix don't give their subscriber numbers, do you really believe Apple would? Yeah, exactly. Apple? Apple, (laughs) No, so Apple neither need to nor want to. So that's um, clearly been pulled straight out of his bum. Who you're talking to mm. Craig, because where would you get the information from apple wouldn't release it and you can't guess at it
0: no mm. i think a lot of people are a lot of people are saying this already because there was correct me if i'm wrong but apple did have is it not the banker or something like that they have made inroads into sort of um acquiring um films from the marketplace and whatnot um although don't they recall. don't have any
1: on the platform at the minute i don't think right yes that's i i'm not sure i know. Everything I've heard about Apple TV Plus so far has been yeah. TV related. So I mean, I think I, I wouldn't be surprised if they were doing films. But I think they're focusing yeah. more on just building up a bank of um, original TV stuff at the moment.
0: I've already, I've already heard more than one person say, "Well, I've no interest. I've no interest in Apple TV," and it seems to be driven by quality of content, which seems to be the one thing they don't have. Given the negative reviews of um, C or whatever that Jason Momoa thing is called in the, the morning C, uh, show, right? But, um,
1: well, every- people apparently are. It's not had good critical reviews, but people like viewers have been enjoying it apparently mm. so um you can't even base it on that
0: yeah interesting stuff i'll be very interested to see where it goes moving forward and especially apple because again you talk about deep pocket scott and there are none deeper than apples currently mm. um so one would imagine they've probably got a few you know cards up their sleeve anyway but um I, I i suspect we'll talk around a lot more about the streaming platforms as we move forward but to digress a bit for the meantime the second point um, that are the second trend that I'd highlighted as uh, feeling like it was worthy of discussion was the death of the movie star um, or TV as a viable platform for big name actors. Uh, I suppose TV was previously the graveyard for those who fell from big screen grace. Um, it started to get interesting again around the turn of the millennium, probably with shows like 24 and CSI where people like David Caruso got to indulge their ego uh, and only piss off people uh, who were mid-tier commissioners instead of studio heads as a result. <laughs> um, where I feel like this really kicks into high gear um, and makes it worthy of discussion for this podcast, though, is with the first season probably of True Detective in 2014, which came riding a crest of McConaissance. And again, it's been accelerated by those dump trucks of streaming money. So, I mean... <sighs> It feels like we're at a tipping point now We're gone are the days of big-name marquee actors who would traditionally have frowned upon the platform of TV. So nowadays the perception is that it's probably as legitimate a pursuit as any, and while I dare say the likes of George Clooney Maybe in no hurry to leave the comfort of Lake Como and unlimited Nespresso for something like an ER reunion. I wouldn't necessarily rule it out. So if I throw this one to you, Scott, do movie stars actually mean anything anymore? And who are they? I am, do they die with Tom Cruise when his insistence on stud work in the next Mission Impossible finally sees him biting off more than he can chew by holding his breath in space while attempting to swim to the moon? <laughs> <laughs> Spoilers. Uh, <laughs> You didn't How know I had see that leaked script. <laughs> <laughs>
2: um, yeah, I was thinking about this. Who opens movies these days? Right? Yeah. Who is a reliable marquee name that you can just stick a name on a film and people will go and see it because they are fans of that guy? I don't think there is one anymore.
1: No. They're, I'd say uh, maybe The Rock or Tom Cruise is a bit all you've got yeah. left, really. Yeah,
2: yeah. Um, and everyone else um, has either gone by the wayside or is doing smaller works or yeah. uh, has or, been...
1: Or, Actor more than movie star, maybe. Yeah, mm. yeah.
2: So there's a few franchises that will still draw in the numbers, yeah. probably regardless of who you had plugged into them. But yeah, the, in terms of the actual actors themselves, yeah, they've kind of gone. And uh, I do wonder how much of that's... Uh, <sighs> Is, is that a quality thing? Is this because the kind of films that we're putting out, there's not enough range for people to express themselves? There's a tiny stuff we'll talk about a bit later on, but yeah, there, there just doesn't seem to be as many films where you can become a blockbuster. When, when studios are only putting, putting all their eggs into a couple of tent poles rather than three mm. or four. Um, no one really has the chance for to get the same kind of levels of exposure. So in that sense, yes, the, the individual actors don't seem to be, uh, getting the kind of prominence they once had back in the day. And a lot of that is, yes, because a lot of them are going to do television shows, television no longer the uh, movie's dumb cousin. It's arguably a greater challenge for most actors to get their teeth into something like a true detective Mm -hmm. uh, or any other um, episodic stuff where they can inhabit the same character for, what, 10 hours a season or something, depending on how it goes. Um, If if they're a marquee, uh, the star of it, then, yeah, it's probably a greater challenge and the respect is there. Um, these kind of things have kind of gone hand in hand with the rise of their prestige when the actors coming to do them. Uh, yeah, I, I think you're right. I, I can't think of anyone who who you could call a movie star in the way that you could, uh, that term would be understood by someone who's dropped here from the thirties. Yeah. say
0: Crucially. I don't feel like we talk anymore about um, actor salaries so much. We do in a certain sense in terms of we know how much of the budget of your typical Marvel movie is consumed by salary. But again, that's part of the thing is I think that you've shifted to more of an ensemble because Mm. the market seems to be moving towards these um, franchises um, and spin-offs that will typically see one or two films dedicated to an individual character and therefore will highlight a particular actor. But then the rest of the time they are grabbing 20 minutes of screen time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, among uh, among an ensemble in this big interwoven uh, universe of, uh, of movies. And I don't think, I mean, gone are the days where you used to sit and, you know, read the press, uh, the movie press and marvel at how salaries were going up. Salaries have not kept pace with inflation. Because you're still talking about, I know I probably like back end deals and stuff are more prolific now, but in terms of just how much actors are being paid up front, I don't know that that $20 million barrier has been exceeded in like the last 20 years or thereabouts where you had the sort of the rush from Arnie to Bruce Willis and back and forward as to who received the biggest paycheck for one movie. Yeah. That seems to be something that we just don't talk about anymore.
1: Those poor actors not getting more than twenty million. Times I are know. hard. Bless yeah.
0: them. They should be on fifty by now. <laughs> um, I mean I know the likes of Robert Downey Jr. will have very lovely back end deals with Marvel Studios and such like. I don't think I don't think he has to worry about buying supermarket own brand cornflakes ever again.
1: Yeah. But um, here's the thing though, you're talking about Robert Downey Jr., and that was what's was in my mind too, is like you're talking about franchises the are the big thing nowadays and it's the brand that matters because yeah. people would be upset if someone other than Robert Downey Jr. were to play Tony Stark. Yeah. But Robert Downey Jr. is not going to open a film he's on his
0: own. No. 100%. Or Chris
1: Evans or anybody else. You know, it's 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 the brand that matters now more than the actor.
0: You're right. And we went through a period from I feel like the eighties onwards, Drew, where the the actor
1: used to be the brand and now we've swung back mm. to the brand being the brand. And honestly, I miss those days because I'd rather be excited about Arnie than bloody Disney. Yeah. You'd rather be
0: excited about the next Dennis Quaid movie, Drew.
1: <laughs> you know. If it's a snuff movie, maybe. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and if there was a Dennis Quaid and Julia Roberts
1: movie, oh, how we'd skip to the cinema hand in hand, Drew. <laughs> um, yeah, Dennis Quaid and Julia Roberts in real life fight. That's it. I mean,
0: because even the likes of the George Clooney seem to have bowed out. And I've I've heard, I was listening to another podcast the other day where they were talking about this exact same thing, essentially, and they were saying, who are the movie stars who are left? And you've got Tom Cruise, um, and there was an argument being made for Matt Damon, um, and that might have been true, I think, for a very limited period of time, of like five or six years maybe, but I really don't feel like that would be the
1: case anymore. I mean, we saw Downsizing didn't exactly... Now, um, I still think Mark Damon very much goes into actor rather than movie star. Mm. And I mentioned oh. The Rock earlier. Rock was probably one yeah. of the few people up there. Uh, I think he's George the most Clooney- recent one. Yeah, George Clooney really is a man out of time. You know, George Clooney is an actor, but he would have been a movie star in the 30s. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there, there's not, there aren't many people now. There. Tom Cruise is probably still in person. and Even he can't be guaranteed to open a film. Look at no. The Mummy. No, even Brad Pitt now um, as
0: well. Um
1: I mean, Brad Pitt was the other name that was in my head. It's possibly the only other movie star, I think, yeah. of that sort of um, size. And
0: even at, even at that, the biggest success he's had recently was Once Upon a Time in America, which was not because it was a Brad Pitt movie. That's because the, the director, director was the movie star. Um, um, perhaps the flip side of the discussion is how many actors are
2: given the opportunity to open a film these days, given mm. that every film that would be openable in that sense is... A Disney film, or a Fast and Furious film, or already some installment in a franchise that's already going. There's not too much original IP getting put out there that someone could be attached their name to. Um, probably the Rock's been the closest there has been for that, with like some Jumanji, mm-hmm. maybe. Um, I'm which the is a
1: sequel to
0: that, does yeah. So, and even he's even he's taking ridiculous yeah. uh, Netflix paychecks now. Yeah. yeah,
2: and uh, and the Rock's other work hasn't really done it. San Andreas was not a huge commercial <laughs> success for anyone. That or kind skyscraper. Of or yeah. Rage, or the, Rampage, right, rather. Yeah. So um, who else? And, yeah. All the other action. Uh, all the other stars are B-list, C-list at best. Like yeah. Ryan Reynolds. J- much as I love him, Jason Statham, you know they're, they're not the same caliber. They're not the same cachet you'd have with like Sylvester yeah. Stallone or Arnie also- back in the eighties.
1: Also, the problem too. I mean, maybe this is something we'll come on to, Craig, because I don't have your list to hand, and I don't mm. remember. I'm afraid, but um, and it's also just why I, just, oh, I hate Disney. and no no't keep watching the films too, but I hate Disney. Um, <laughs> do, in fairness to
0: you, Drew, you don't have much choice. No, <laughs> uh,
1: it's, uh, yeah, that's one of the big trends and. Th- I don't want to mention too much in case it is nearly. but there's no middle ground anymore either. Yeah, that's one of the points. So you have the smallest films and then you have the biggest films. The biggest films have switched from being actor-led to brand-led. Yeah. So there isn't really anything left for anybody else. That's where TV is taking over a lot, I think, is that middle ground. Well, Drew, <laughs> that is point number five.
0: We'll be talking about that in due course, but you're right. As we said before, I mean, a lot of this stuff will feed into each other. Um, and it is worth mentioning as we go along. But yes, there there isn't a lot of middle ground anymore. So outside of the mega franchise stuff, you know, Scott is absolutely right. What is the opportunity for people to open a film? But, well, the market has spoken. Um, <laughs> shall we move on to point three then and hasten it along a bit? Um, point three, which was the Marvel model. Yes,
2: which is the market these days, I think. So. Yes.
0: <laughs> Hi, I'm Kevin Feige, and I have a roadmap for 320 films over the next 10 years that all <laughs> share the same universe. Um, is uh, I don't think this needs much introduction. Is this just the future now? And... You know, will the Fast and the Furious ever die? Or are we going to still be looking at Fast and Furious movies 10 years from now? Is it really about family, Drew?
1: Well, it never was, Craig. Never, ever was. Um, I don't know. It's The thing is, when this current Marvel um, thing comes to an end, which I suspect will happen within the next decade... Mm Um, and they'll look to reboot it, like the comics are always rebooted and things. And that'll be the real test to see whether it, it maintains itself after that. Um, I really hope not. Then uh, see, I've liked a lot of the Marvel films, right? And they're undou- are undeniably well produced. The fact that they tied together so well at all is um, is really quite impressive. I mean, they are yeah. It's well constructed. They're very well made, and they are enjoyable. But Scorsese is absolutely right though. There is there's no risk in them, there's no heart in them. Yeah. Um all those people who were crying at the end of Infinity War, I continue to call morons because you know it was nothing was going to stick. Mm-hmm. It's just fake emotion. Um and I don't care who I offend by because it's just you know you knew it was never meaningful. Um if You've moved into
0: middle age and you don't give a damn.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I was born middle aged. Uh,
0: <laughs>
1: but uh, yeah, it's um I forgot your question.
0: No, it was about, is this Marvel model, is that all we'll see? Um, uh, what, partly what fueled, if it helps with the conversation, Drew, partly what fueled this for me is like the talk recently of loads of people saying, do you know what would be a really smart move for Kevin Feige now would be for him to go over to Disney and actually start working the next phase of all the Star Wars stuff when they're t- yeah. talking about an 18-month to two-year break or whatever. And what worries me about that. Is that we're only <laughs> we're only a couple of years into some of these models, and we're already talking about the prospect of massive inbreeding.
1: Yeah, yeah, I can also see Star Wars disappear within a few years too. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been done to death because Disney have to have all that money every
0: year. They, they but, paid um, four billion for it, and let's be honest, they've had their money back.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I kind of fear the film is going to go like video games, in that <clears throat> people aren't going to take risks. So you're just going to get the new instalment of the franchise every year. Um, and then you'll occasionally get um, a film that will surprise people. Like you get a game that surprises people. that's the, the rare new IP. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think the, the franchise model for the foreseeable future is what's going to happen. And people are just, they're very risk-averse in Hollywood. Of course, um, the, I think maybe the interesting thing about
2: the Marvel model is, it uh, worked for Marvel but there's not really much evidence that has worked for anyone outside of Marvel hmm. yet. I mean, obviously DC tried that desperately. Yeah, and it worked for Universal with Fast and Furious. Yeah. It worked for Universal with them. Failed utterly with their... Dark Universe, the Mummy uh, <laughs> thing that they were trying to get off the ground with the last yeah. movie star ever. Yes,
1: <laughs> with, uh, it failed with their one and only entry. Into
2: I think, yeah. Um, and Star Wars have been trying it, and but also it, it's Disney. Yes, it remains to see that kind of ties in with the, in the next point, and also the first point is how that how that is going to see, and whether it will continue to work for Marvel. I guess will depend on what they do post Endgame if they're going to. Um, Continued repeating what they did, or if they're going to pivot into something that is more based around the TV streaming opportunities that is opened up by the Disney Plus services, mm. which I think they are. Mm. So, what's going to happen in this realms of their cinema stuff? It could be wildly different, or maybe it isn't. Maybe it'll be the same stuff again. Who knows? Um, the, the, from what I remember of the roadmap, it's it's a bit esoteric in terms of what the, the Marvel <laughs> cart. Uh, Properties that they have left to plumb. So it doesn't look like it's going for the same mass market right down the middle stuff that they have done previously. So who knows? We'll need to see. It's
1: not an exciting crop they have coming up, is it? For people who are not into comic books, even people no. who are into comic books, I suspect. So yeah,
0: This is the thing is that the well, I think, was revealed to be relatively shallow. Uh, having said that, isn't it 32 films over 10 years or something crazy like that? Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, and and God knows how many billions. Um, Yeah. (laughs) What what impresses me most about it is, and it's something you touched on, Drew, was throughout all that, and I'm not the biggest fan, and there have been some that I've really enjoyed, and there's others still that I haven't actually seen, (laughs) and I might not ever get around to seeing. Um, Like, I'm not desperate to see Age of Ultron or, um, you know... Um, uh, the first Captain America or anything well, like that.
1: No, those are two of the worst. So those are yeah. ones you do well to avoid.
0: <laughs> well, no doubt as my kids get a little bit older and stuff, because they've already started watching Star Wars, uh, as I mentioned to you guys last week. I think is that I'll probably inevitably end up getting dragged back into some of those. But it is what it is. The thing that has actually impressed me most about the Marvel model um, and to an extent Star Wars and to a lesser extent, grudgingly, um, I would say the Fast and the Furious movies, although I don't really enjoy them at all, is that throughout all of this, they have at least maintained a certain minimum uh, level of quality. And when we talk about something like, you say saying Age of Ultron and the, the first Captain America being at the lower end of the Marvel scale, I mean, that is still, one would assume, significantly better than a lot of other, um, uh, output that, that we've had. They, they seem to have managed to have sustained a certain minimum quality level that I think has been the thing that's reassured punters and has probably, has probably garnered them so much box office is that it is a safe bet and that you know, you might not come away thinking that was the best film ever, but I doubt very much whether anyone's come out of any of those films at the cinema and thought, well,
1: that was a waste of ten quid. They undoubtedly entertain. Mm. Um, and But they are, they are like theme parks and that's fine, but it's like um, they just don't satisfy it is the problem. And I realise that not a lot of people are looking for that, and I wish more people were. Yeah. Um, but it's... I think bland is an unfair word. Mm -hmm. Um, They're better than that. Uh, The Mm -hmm. Marvel films in particular, but um, you've got this baseline of competency, which is not the same as quality. No. Um, But I just wonder whether people will just kind of get sick on that, just like kind of want something more. Because inevitably they are becoming
0: increasingly homogenous, right?
1: Yeah. um, For the most part, the look has always been really homogenous. It's always been one of my big complaints too is Mm. that. They've never looked visually distinctive? Yeah. Um, Interestingly enough, for me, for me,
0: Drew, the ones that I enjoyed most out of the Marvel movies I've watched have been the sort of slightly more off kilter ones,
1: like Thor, Ragnarok, and yes, Doctor a, Strange. They look different from the yeah. other ones. Other ones tend to be again competent, but they're not. They don't have a, a character. Yeah. Whereas those do.
0: Um, yeah, and I'm not surprised in that respect. I'm not surprised that so many people enjoy Guardians of the Galaxy. And of all that Marvel output, that seems to be the one that's gathered the most. Um, I, th- I don't even, I'm trying to think how would I, how would I put this? The fan base for Guardians of the Galaxy, I think, has more heart invested in that movie than perhaps fans of the, you know, the Avengers movie has. I think people are possibly more emotionally attached to the Guardians of the Galaxy than they are some of the other ones because it has a bit more heart and soul. Peppy and tree huggers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we spoke about this before. I raised the point a while back on the podcast that the thing that I think and DC are only caught on to onto this now, but the thing I think that Marvel have done really well that I think has made those films successful where DC haven't is that DC looked to an action director and that one name, so you're Zack Snyder's, to fuel all of their pictures, and it wasn't working for them because Zack Snyder, I'm sorry, he might he might be able to handle special effects, but he's not a great filmmaker. He's not a great storyteller, no. whereas Marvel seemed to appreciate that the best thing to do if you've got $200 million to spend on one of these movies is, do you know what? If actually ostensibly we're going for humour, hire a co- hire a proven director of comedies and back him up with the assistance yes. to deliver the action parts. DC would never have
1: picked Kenneth Branagh or no. Taika Waititi. Yeah. You no. know? Um, but also DC and their parent company Warners... Uh, have no idea what they're doing. And I've demonstrated that repeatedly mm-hmm. for years and years. And it actually comes back to our first topic about the streaming services and all the executives rushing to like, oh, we've got to have our thing mm-hmm. and usually without any foresight or patience. And Warner Brothers have been doing that for years. And whereas what Marvel did, um, and kind of remarkable given where Marvel was when they began. Oh, yeah. You no, know, um, of having this grand plan. And, you know, unlike George Lucas, I believe that there was a pretty long-term plan in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Uh, I actually believe them when they say it. Uh, they have this plan, expanded on for sure, but to sort of do a whole bunch of films. And they had, like, was it five or six before they got even to the first Avengers film? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they'd built up a world, built up characters, giving everybody, every character a chance to breathe before they crammed them onto one film where there was no breathing space. Yeah. Warners looked to that and goes... And said, "Ah, we'll have that, but we'll do it all in one film." Yeah. And they—they they had no patience at all, and they well. They basically turned their cinematic universe into something that Pucci could have starred in.
0: Yeah, they mm-hmm. were coming from the wrong place to start with, um, and I would argue that actually that's—they're making inroads into that now. But again, we'll talk about that in a little bit. I will—I will raise the spectre of some of the stuff I think they might have done a little bit more right recently, but the wrong, the most wrong I have ever been in my life. And let me be clear about this is when that phase three Marvel roadmap got published back in, was it late, late 2015 or, or whatever. Um, and it was like, here's 20 films over three years, suck it up, bad boys. Um, (laughs) and I, I remember looking at that on, on Twitter and, and being very outspoken about the fact that I thought that was the most arrogant thing I'd ever seen in my life that it was ridiculous for a studio to try and garner that much attention and soak up in advance, state their claim to so many screenings um and clearly so many sort of key release dates um, and there was no way that that model was sustainable. I thought that was absolute lunacy. And man, was I wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin Feige understands that market a lot better than I do. Um, and I'm not ashamed to say it. There's a, there's a reason he's getting paid hundreds of millions of dollars and I'm not.
2: <laughs>
0: um, but yes, that's, uh, yeah, the Marvel model. I don't think it's going away anytime soon, but yeah, it's it's going to be interesting to see now that, to sort of look back around to the start of the conversation and the point that I think you made, Drew, that um, or, or it might have been yourself, Scott, that um, the actual content seems to be thinning out now in terms of certainly recognisable names and brands within that universe. Um, I suspect now we're getting to the point where they are going to have to really... Double down on the quality of their output if they're going to get the mass market interested in something like um, Shang Chi or yeah. I looked at those list of names, Craig, and I'm like,
1: that's the thing, is it?
0: Yeah, hmm. I that, did the that's double t- I've never like, heard of that. One Division, what? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and then someone explained to me what One Division was, and I'm like, well, that makes sense, but just hmm. in terms of brand recognition. Huh? Um, so yeah, that's that's one of the more interesting things is whether or not this this. And, <laughs> I don't think I don't think trends in cinema necessarily last more than ten to twenty years, do they? I don't think any trend ever has last, lasted that long. So, uh, you know, history has taught us that probably this will at some point fade away. But in the meantime, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. Um, which takes us on to point number four, which um, I basically named Disney buys everything. Uh, it does exactly <laughs> what it says in the tin. Consolidation is the name of the game. And I know that I don't want to play that game with you. (laughs) Um, When Disney announced it was buying Star Wars from George Lucas for $4 billion, we all knew what was coming. Um, (laughs) And homogenization will be the death of creativity. Only as we touched on before, the overall quality of product seems to be going up. Um, How does this paradox resolve itself? Well, Fox and Marvel Studios rolled into the fold, oh sorry, with Fox and Marvel Studios rolled into the fold, 2019 saw Disney account for something like 80% of cinema box office revenue, <laughs> um, which is mental. Yeah. Who else can or will Disney look to buy? Um, do Apple buy Disney? What if we had a whip round and all put a fiver in? Could we buy Disney and put it all back the way it ought to be? <laughs> um, why can things not just remain the same? <laughs> Progress! <laughs> Yes, <laughs> um, where does where does this end with the consolidation thing? Because I fear that we've not seen the end of it yet. Well, we almost have. What's left for them to buy?
2: Um, <laughs> you, me, Drew. <laughs> what what shells of companies can they uh, acquire that they haven't already got? The... <sighs> What are they missing? well Fast and Furious is universal, right? Yeah. So that's that's the only significant bit of box office that they're missing. Um the rest of it, who knows? Who knows? Um Yes, it is it's obviously not great if you want anything that is not well, controlled by Disney. And Disney have shown that 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 understandably, given the position they're in, they want to appeal to absolutely everybody, so they're mm-hmm. taking no risks whatsoever with anything and it's making things suffer. You know, the Marvel films homogenous, the Star Wars films homogenous, all the same stuff that's coming through again. Where's all the new stuff going to come from? Well, it's not going to come from Disney. Hmm.
1: No, and also just it's a in general I just despise the Disney Corporation because they, particularly in the United States, destroyed what copyright meant. Yeah. Um, basically, they own popular culture, which is worrying apart from anything else yeah, um, and just stifling to all sorts of creativity and it, because it's Disney too and I know they've like had subsidiaries like Buena Vista and Touchstone who have done kind know of the slightly edgier stuff I guess you'd say but mm. um it's just going to be all plasticky and all the rough edges filed off and just worried that there's going to be so much bland tat with no risk um no edginess, no spark of creativity or soul. Um and that's the future. So thanks, Disney. I think that I think the soulless argument you can level at a
0: lot of stuff. I don't know that it's that Disney are entirely bereft of that and they they don't know what to do with it. I have to believe that a company operating at that scale will adapt to the market as required. And I don't think they would allow themselves to, to die on their arse as you know, the the market in general grows bored of homogenous output. I think you'll see them diversify. You've probably already seen it with Disney+. Plus. I think something like The Mandalorian, which is arguably the only part of the Star Wars universe that I'm interested in at the minute because they seem to be doing something interesting with it. Um, I think that probably indicates the fact that they, they will invest in, you know, maybe edgier stuff as they move forward. I don't think they'll necessarily do it immediately. I think the nature of the beast is to milk the zeitgeist for everything that it's worth. Um, and right now people are just lapping up whatever they put out in the most sort of rote fashion. But there's enough evidence that they're willing to take chances. Um, even stuff... Sorry, what were you going
1: to say? Can you see Disney having having had released... Uh, Logan? Because I
0: can't. No, I don't imagine they would, but what I think you might see is as they consolidate, you know, other sort of brand stuff, I wouldn't be surprised if Disney makes some acquisitions so that they have recognizable brands elsewhere in the market to put that kind of content out without it necessarily being labeled Disney. So like the Buena Vista um, uh, kind of distribution stuff, um, but on streaming platform etc. I don't, th- I don't think there's, there's, I don't think they don't want everybody's money. So I don't think they're going to ignore necessarily any part of the market as they move forward. I think it will depend upon how far along they're allowed to go, um, yeah. and before I mean, I, we're not like, competition commission start taking an interest.
2: We're not allowed to say the name anymore, but Walt Disney owned Miramax, right? Mm-hmm. And so Miramax is putting a hell of a lot of the the freaker content out there. So yes, perhaps they will, perhaps they will keep that going. Um, how that shows up on their services, I don't know.
1: Um, I suppose yeah. it's interesting to think that Pulp Fiction was effectively a Disney <laughs> film. Yeah, a Disney film. makes <laughs> you a make Thurman, a Disney princess. <laughs> it's canon.
0: Yes. <laughs> I think they're willing to buy I think there's enough evidence and stuff like um, when I saw some of the reviews coming in, my wife took the kids to see Frozen 2 today while I was in work. Um, and noticeably, I, I noticed that torrents of DVD screeners of Frozen 2 have become available. So inevitably, I will end up watching that. And from what I've read <laughs> of it and the feedback I've had, I think even within something like that, which is essentially just a license to print money, it sounds like they were taken, sounds like they were taken, well, I was going to say a knock to the head, like some of the, some of the choices, um, that they've, they've made apparently with that movie. But, and it has still performed well at the box office. So I don't know that, I don't think everything's just going to come in white packaging and impact font um and just be, you know, a different franchise name stamped on it. That's all Disney are going to output. I'll be interested to see what they do when they take this inverted commas break from star Wars, because I don't believe it's going to be a significant break. Yeah. I still think they like the money. Um But I am, I do think what they do with that moving forward um I think they will look back maybe and regret that they they stuck two fingers up to Ryan Johnson essentially with this last instalment of the the Skywalker saga mm. and gave it back to JJ Abrams who is the most overrated piece of fluff in the industry mm. um, and who has yet to produce a great movie. Um, yeah, I think they will. I think they will look back on that with regret at, at some point in the next few years, but whether or not they still go ahead with that um Ryan Johnson Johnson led trilogy that they'd promised um I think will be very telling about where they're going to go in future
2: it's not directly related to that I suppose but my my long term complaint with disney is that disney just keep churning stuff out um because they felt like doing it. I mean, this is going on for far longer than the last 10 years. If you look at The Lion King was a big success, so let's put out two to three direct-to-video releases and some crappy spin-offs with tomorrow and Pump and all that kind of thing. And they were doing that for every kind of big hit they had. And... They've kind of started doing that with the the stuff that they've, they've been buying recently. They've kind of been doing that with Star Wars. There's there's no real reason to put out a Star Wars film every year other than no. you just want to make money. Yeah. There's no there was no reason for Toy Story 4 to exist other than you wanted to make some money. Mm. Um there's there's no great it, it's a decent enough film, as it turns out, but it's there's no driving story behind it. There was no need to make that film. No. There, there wasn't any great narrative compunction behind it, and we've seen that, I think. In the main, with these Star Wars films, there's not really been a great story
0: point behind it any bit. Other than we want to put these no. characters out there and make money, and but again, yeah. again, Scott, though, crucially, none of those were five million dollar direct to video sequels. <laughs> No, and again, they've not with something like Frozen. That's been what five five year gap or something, and yeah, they they've kept not the done. One really, didn't they? Yeah, they've not done Frozen spin off films every every six months. Uh, direct to you know, streaming or direct to video on demand. Um, so I don't I don't know that I don't know that they didn't learn something of a lesson there because none yeah. of those Star Wars movies, I think, on the face of it, can necessarily. I think you could call them cynical but I don't think you can accuse them of being a cheap cash-in.
2: Yeah, Uh, it actually probably ties into our next point as well, Um, what you would be saying with that one. Um,
0: Just in general, studios are are making larger and fewer bets. Yes. Well, there you go. Thank you you for that um, transition (laughs) Um, to point number five, which uh, is the one that you touched on earlier, Drew, and it's market polarization, a.k.a. mega franchise versus indie shark. (laughs) Um, So taking all of the previous points into uh, account, the middle ground has all but disappeared from cinemas and decamped onto streaming services. If it's not 150 million plus uh, tentpole, you're now only likely to find a $10 million horror indie. What can it all mean? Uh, Drew, I'm going to throw to you because it felt like you wanted to touch on that.
1: Yeah. um, What has me worried about is that it will mean that cinema becomes just a place where you see a Marvel film. Um, because we've talked before about how it seems like there are um, so many comic films a year, and actually, if you spread it over a year, it's not that many, and compared to the heyday of the Western when there were literally hundreds per year, it seems like nothing except the fact that if you didn't want to see one Western, you might see another, or there'd be something else on, whereas the the Marvel films in particular just seem to have sucked all of the oxygen out of cinema so there's not space or yeah. time for anything else. Yeah. You've got a ten um, screen multiplex, they are on eight screens. Yeah. Yeah. And then the cinemas themselves aren't doing any doing themselves any favours because the trend of cinema change in the most part seems to be let's not just make people want to come by making this like the best thing possible and making the lowest cost default option, amazing. It's like, no, we're going to have lots and lots of gimmicks, but we're going to charge you lots and lots of money for the extra gimmicks. That's that's point number
0: seven, so don't do too much on that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I will not adhere to your rules. (laughs) (laughs) You're a Um, radical. Yeah. um, It's, I I don't know, it it worries me, but I think there's still a lot of strength in um, like small indie stuff, because there are... Your things like, um, your picture house cinemas chain and stuff like that. And, um, and certainly in bigger cities, you're going to have a good art house cinema that's still there. Uh, but they tend to have lesser quality projections, smaller screens, mm. maybe not as good sound, maybe it's not as good seating or anything too. So you're not getting quite the benefit of, of the cinema experience. And I want, I want to be able to go and see some amazing $10 million budgeted indie film. On a massive screen as big as I would see a Marvel film, and not all of them necessarily benefit from a huge screen, but I still like to see it. And I'm just worried that it's just going to be a case that cinema ends up being a place where you see the franchises and everything else you watch in streaming. Hmm. And I'll miss it if that happens.
0: I do worries this. I yeah, I do worry that moving forward, at some point, you are literally going to have Marvel cinemas and then repertory you know, cinemas <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that show seasonal material or something like that. But I don't I don't even know that would be financially viable at this point. And I think that is where Streamer will come in with that that size of back catalogue. And again, the the quality of the source material available, there probably wouldn't be a reason to live leave your riv, living room to, to uh see some of that stuff. I think you'll probably move to like a Spotify model whereby um you know curated playlists will replace uh repertory uh seasons um and such like in that capacity so i don't know that there is an out for the cinema market uh cinema market in terms of what we are going to see in the next 10 years i really hope we i really hope we go back to a bit more diversity but uh, just in terms of where that even even if marvel uh vacated five of those eight screens are taken up i don't know where the material would be coming from now to fill the other five um, to fill, or to fill those five they've vacated because it just seems to already be at the point where, um, you know, it's either, you know, that, that ultra-indie stuff that's coming up probably can't, probably now would, would struggle to get uh, or would sh- struggle to find the money to be or the deals to be distributed. I don't know. I really don't know. I'm, this is this is one of the points I'm most uncertain about is what will a cinema look like 10 years from now?
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't have much to add on just to miss the days when you could get a there's apparently enough of a market for foreign language films to be distributed more widely. So um, mm. where we're putting these out a lot. We'd have like Tartan Video putting out um, yeah. seasons of Asian films and uh, you know, Hong Kong action films, all these kind of stuff. And it was great to get an opportunity to see that in cinemas. And while not be keeping as close tabs to it, because I'm far away from the cinema, uh, yeah, it doesn't really seem to be the case so much these days. And uh, yeah, it's, it's harder to see anything that is not just a, a hugely budgeted temple
0: or a garbage horror movie. <sighs> yeah. Remember counter programming? Yes. <laughs> the counter programming to Marvel is now DC. <laughs> that's, that's it. Um, speaking of which, we'll touch on DC again now. I'll, I'll rattle on then to point six because I feel depressed talking about point five <laughs> already. Um, uh, at least uh, something positive on the horizon here. Point six, increasing recognition for female directors. Um, or perhaps increasing opportunity for female directors might be uh, fairer. Uh, Warner Brothers finally had its first bona fide superhero um, hit critically, at least since Chris Nolan left Batman behind when the unexpectedly leapfrogged Marvel and employed a female director, Patty Jenkins to helm Wonder Woman. Marvel were forced to follow suit kind of by really generously allowing a female co-director Anna Bowden to helm Captain America, uh, Captain Marvel, sorry. Um, Everyone expected things to change. I think it's fair to say in 2009 when Catherine Bigelow got the best director nod um, at the Oscars that year for 2008's The Hurt Locker. Only nothing really much seemed to happen until a number of high profile Hollywood males finally got called out for their despicable behavior. (laughs) Um, And a larger discussion emerged um, around the industry um, as a whole being forced to acknowledge its treatment of women in general. Does this movement have legs, uh, Scott? If so, where will they take it in the next decade? Um, I don't feel like we're out of the woods on this one yet, necessarily.
2: Yes. Yeah, I mean, I certainly hope so. Um, It's always better to have more perspectives on story. Uh, so it's better to have any particular story approached from any number of angles and I think the female voice has been lessened over the past uh, few decades there's not been as much of that as we'd like that is seemingly making some kind of inroads um Apparently, last year was a record year for a number of female directors and writers and such, but it's, a pretty it's still pretty low bar <laughs> and still not actually all that high. Yeah. Uh, and there's an awful lot of pushback from arseholes on the internet who um, don't seem to understand how sexism works and <laughs> what what, the, what institutional sexism and racism is. Um, and that's depressing to see, but hopefully that's the dying flame of old farts who will die out in time. Um, you have to hope it's a dead cat bounce of that kind
0: of attitude, right?
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, not sure what I've got more to add about it other than, yes, it's really good, then go and see Little Women if you haven't. Ger- Gerwig's film is
0: very good. The, oh, I'm desperate um, to yeah. see it, actually, which <laughs> I never thought I'd hear myself saying about yeah, that. Yeah. Um, Drew, did you have anything to input on this one? Uh,
1: no, I, I'm just somewhat concerned that it... Um, might lose momentum mm-hmm. that if like it's like because it's a like called celeb at the moment and people are thinking we'll do this and you get more female directors coming to bigger projects is that's the key thing mm-hmm. there have always been female directors working in indie stuff maybe yeah. less well represented maybe not getting the opportunities but they've been there but for like bigger more prominent stuff great get more female directors in but i'm worried that like instead of people thinking right this is just like a general good and yeah. fair and then we keep it it's like if like the the new cycle moves on and that so impetus goes we'll just go I will just go back to what we know which is the th- concern i have a wee bit
0: this is the thing, this is what worries me as well, Drew. And looking back, I think the Catherine Bigelow thing maybe shouldn't have given us as much hope because when you look at when you look at Catherine Bigelow as a director and her output and her choice of material she's, Which we have. Yeah, exactly. Which I would I would thoroughly recommend. You listen to that episode, I am not on it, but don't let that put you off. It shouldn't. <laughs> um, you you guys discussed at great length um, some of um, some of Bigelow's output. She is if she is a super safe bet. For in terms of a female director, in terms of tending to the market status quo, in that she is, I suppose, in many ways, in terms of theme and style, what you would probably consider more traditionally more of a masculine director. Um, She is not, or hasn't uh, up until this point, really put out all that much that you would suggest, um, would be material necessarily aimed at a predominantly female market, and the thing that worries me about it is that if you remember about probably about ten years ago there was this big um, there was this big realization that um oh the 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 silver pound the silver dollar that the um aging population was a huge untapped market, and we started to see a lot more films come out that were thematically relevant to an older age group. Um, and brilliant, it should be thus, um, the market demands it. But just in terms of basic numbers and how demographics work, you would still think that a safer bet for studios to recognize would be 51% of the world's population <laughs> um, being underserved in terms of representation in cinema. Um, and not just in terms of, hey, let's put out um, an early 2000s Matthew McConaughey uh, rom-com or a Christmas romantic comedy, which seems to be the only, the only real material aimed at a predominantly female market aside from something like Twilight Saga which should have been a massive wake up call that the demographic that landed with um was predominantly a young female audience who absolutely um who who those movies movies sp- spoke to on a level that uh, that um, com- of completely no interest or relevance to you or I um, mm-hmm. and again it should be thus those movies weren't made for us um and that's the way it should be and it still baffles me that in response to how much money those movies took, it has still taken Patty Jenkins helming Wonder Woman, and it almost felt like, that almost felt like DC were an opportunistic response to the Me Too movement. It didn't feel like something they had been planning for some time. That felt like a decision on their part to cash in and take a gamble on a movement, and it paid off massively for them. I'm just baffled. That this is still a thing that the studio system is not serving a demographic that are still not being shown anything like the respect and the consideration that you would uh, you would imagine would make economic sense <laughs> um in terms of the numbers out there just just baffling and for that reason i share your concern drew that i'm worried the steam might go out of this purely from exposing myself to material i might not watch otherwise i think people like mario heller um, and you mentioned Patty, uh, not Patty Jenkins, um, sorry, Gre- Greta Gerwig, um, are outputting material now that I have enjoyed immensely. And I'm challenging myself a bit in terms of, um, movies that I wouldn't traditionally have, have watched. So I would never, you know, two, three years ago, little women just wouldn't have been in my wheelhouse at all. I wouldn't have paid any mind whatsoever. And I'm genuinely interested to see it now. And I think the three of us would probably, probably agree that we are more open to challenging our, it's not that I don't think we had close perspectives and stuff, but in terms of that, I think, I think probably the three of us would agree that we are ready and waiting for more of that stuff.
2: Yeah, well, apparently um, in 2019 of the top 100 grossing films, uh, women directors represented 10.6% up from 4.5%. So that's still substantially less than the 50% you would expect if it was yes. on
1: a more equitable level. So, um, There's got to be something the culture as well, um, because like, in terms of executives, people like, um, she's no longer at Apple now, but, um, Amy Pascal, yeah. very much a rarity yeah um and then you talking about Twilight Craig, which I'd rather not because it's appalling, and the books are by all accounts appalling so if that's popular with people, it's because they have no taste, not because of their gender but <laughs> uh the there have been five films, I think, and only one of them the first one was directed by a woman, yeah, so it's like the that was released got very, very popular and they immediately thought, well, we better give that to a man then. Because mm-hmm. the first one, budget of 37 million, box office of 400 million, mm-hmm. 20 million, and they like, oh, well, um, well we kind of have a woman doing that. Yeah, You, you get the feeling that, that that's basically the thinking. I was, oh, this is bigger than we thought, better give that to a safe pair of male hands now, male and white preferably. Yeah, <laughs> and for, forget
0: about calls of, um, you know, being woke or men in this or the rest of it. Just from an economic point of view, these companies are supposed to be about making money and it's just a massive, massive oversight. It's just baffling It is possibly the most baffling aspect of, um, of cinema this century. I suppose that, um, uh, you know, c- uh, cinemas would be, or sorry, uh, you know, the, the, the people, um, greenlighting material would be, have a great wake up moment around, you know, the 60 plus market, but not, <laughs> but not women in general. Um, just yeah, weird, but there you go. there you go, um, and that leaves us then on point number seven, um drew, which you touched on, um, and we spoke about this, I think off Mike um prior to another episode the other week um cinema's doubling down on gimmicks in the face of falling overall revenues and the flanking maneuvers of streaming giants. Cinema seems not to have learned its lesson and is opting to entrench itself in a number of added costs in an effort to attract people back. What this appears to amount to is seats that shake while farting and weeing on you, for which you can expect to pay £5 over the odds of a regular seat. Um, as I mentioned to you guys, um, which I think started this conversation the other week there, director James Mangold gave a great interview on the Ringer's Big Picture podcast recently, where he nailed this absolutely on the head, asserting that if he were the cinema industry, he'd be making laser projection and high-end Dolby Audio the absolute minimum cinema experience, not charging extra money for it. Does cinema know, or does cinema as we know it, survive the next 10 years? Netflix is reopening mothballed cinemas, albeit for limited engagements as a future of cinema in either those uh, limited engagements or streaming houses for Prestige Pictures. Drew, what does a cinema look like 10 years
1: from now? Uh, best case scenario, more or less, is a look now. Mm. Um, which, not brilliant, but I can live with that. It'll still be there to go and see stuff. Um, I don't know. I kind of worry that we'll just have... Um, the big multiplexy is just showing the latest Marvel film and not a lot else. Um, I don't know. I honestly, I honestly think it's not going to change all that much. Um, maybe the 3d gimmick will finally go away. We can, but hope, <laughs> um, I don't know. Uh, No, I don't know. I I really can't gauge this one at all.
2: Um... I mean, the thing for me is, where else can they go? Right, they've tried 3D and it's been a moderate success. I've not seen a movie in for 3D a while for what five well, years. I know they're still showing them, but I make a point to go to 2D ones because I like to be able to see what's going on in the screen, not see some.
0: Yeah, uh, but, but again, now Scott, I think it's one. only the tentpole stuff that is in 3D now. They've even done away with. Yeah, they've even done away with the mid-tier stuff being sort of uh, retrofitted after the fact as 3D. Now they seem to have given up on that. Yeah, thankfully, um, and.
2: Rightfully so, because the number of films that enhanced was zero. Um, as even the ones that were supposed to be tentpoles for it that we all went to see and went, okay, right, okay, let's show us Avatar then, and it's like, nope, it just looks terrible. Yes. Um, Avatar <laughs> was great in slightly murkier shades of blue, Scott. <laughs> yes, uh, I've. I was going to make a point. Of going to see a film in 4DX As Cineworld would have it um, yep. But the only one they're showing is Rise of Skywalker And I don't particularly want to see that again So I've not yet experienced being um, Weed and farted on But um, I thought it was just the, the movie that shaked I didn't realise it had an aromatherapy component to it as well mm. um, But yes, that's a, a clear gimmick That is not going to get off the ground When's uh, water aromas yeah. you name it scott right. sure. i think we, i think everyone can see that's a failure from the outset um yeah what's left to do in cinemas the only thing i can think of is if you have some cinemas dedicated to some kind of vr experience there's a there, there was some attempt i think a few years back to start making like virtual reality films where you could you know kind of do a bit more kind of walkie aroundy type interactive type stuff and a bit more sort of 360 like the uh, old um Disney uh, attractions where they're kind of projecting up on a dome; those kind of like more immersive, arounds like surround uh, scope uh, kind of experiences. But I, again, I can't see how you'd tell a narrative in that, so I don't think that's got any legs to it. So that only works for the Jean
0: Claude Van Damme movie, uh, "Sudden Death." <laughs>
2: <laughs> or, or, or anyone
0: where he does a particularly impressive spin kick, I think would watch oh, no, I was just about. thinking more from inside a sports stadium point <laughs> of view. <laughs> if I want a, if I want a, a film yeah. projected on a dome for a yeah. for an immersive experience, but ultimately, despite what all we've
2: tried to do with cinema over the past hundred years, it's always just reduced to. Projecting something onto a screen, mm. and that seemed you know, with a decent sound component to it as well. So, I, I really don't see it changing very much. There'll probably just be less of them.
1: Yeah, I, s- mm. um, I don't really understand your pessimism about the 4DS thing in <laughs> Scotland. I mean, there's at least 10 per any given cinema, at least 10 seats to have yes. that. So, they're really um, they're betting hard on that one, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah um, I think the the way forward the way they should go, whether they'll go that way or not, it's just to just, like you were saying with the James Mango um, thing, it's just increase the basic um, yeah. like the base level yeah. of having very high quality screen, very high quality projection. A lot of films, uh, cinemas are still in that horrible bit where they went to digital projection, but they're still kind of relatively old LCD projectors, mm-hmm. uh, they still smear like nothing on earth, like lots of motion blur uh so upgrade those projectors it's not cheap so that, that's the problem too it requires a lot of investment but like really comfortable seats probably reclining seats mm. better quality screens and better quality projectors and then just just typical high quality cinema surround sound and then clamp down on people talking or using their phones um And I'm not saying you should punch them in the face, but you should probably punch them in the face.
0: No, Um, you should probably pay, I don't know, someone to turn up and be an usher.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Um, So like to improve the actual experience, um, just just increase the baseline without paying for gimmicks. It's like, right, here's what you pay to go into cinema, and You get a really comfy seat, an excellent screen, good sound, and you're not annoyed by arseholes around you. Mm. Um, That could be the key thing. Um, I think things are particularly bad in that regard in the United States. You get the, in the UK, sometimes where I go to summer. Fortunately, it's really rare. Um, uh, but it, it's just, people just seem to go into those places and not realizing it's a public place with a shared experience and thinking it's their own living room. Mm. I just, I honestly cannot understand that thinking. It's, it's alien to me. Uh, but yeah, if they have some sort of basic thing, like an usher, yes. Um, Maybe you could clamp down on that sort of nonsense and prove the experience of everybody. People would want to go. Hmm. Crazy
0: the, thought, huh? My the, the overwhelming sort of impression for me now is that you walk into a multiplex now and you have this huge building with like 14 screens or something like that, and it appears to be manned by five people tops. Yeah. Um, uh, which is, and, you know, there are no projectionists anymore. Um, the, you know, you, you, you buy your ticket yourself when you come in on a touch screen or you get it when you're buying your confectionery. If you, yeah. if you, if you do that. And then someone from the confectionery counter ends up running over to take ticket stubs when the screen ends going in. Um, I've been, I've been saying for a while now that I'm, I'm going to give, uh, my friend Isla a shout because to the best of my knowledge, she is still a cinema manager for Odeon. And I keep threatening to just give her a shout and say, can I please come up and just see what a cinema looks like behind the screens now? Because I think for something for something so ent- heavily entrenched in the arts and that promises to deliver, um, you know, or at its best can deliver the most emotionally resonant of experiences, I think they are the most soulless enterprises on <laughs> earth at the minute. <laughs> um, yeah, they're not making Cinema Paradiso remakes these days, are they? <laughs> no, and I don't understand why they keep searching for the next gimmicks. Like you said, I myself have considered going to see Rise of Skywalker in 4DX uh, just so, and I thought at first it'd be a clever thing to do just to go and sit in one of those seats and laugh at how silly it is loudly and okay. ruin the experience for everyone else in the cinema for two hours just to make a point. And <laughs> the problem is that on a, on a purely on, uh, purely on principle, I don't want to give them the money. Yes. <laughs> because it will be interpreted, regardless of my intent, it will be interpreted as an endorsement, yeah. um, and I don't want them to have my fifteen quid for that because it's nonsense. And it's I can um, I can't imagine anything removing me from the experience more. Yeah. I can't imagine imagine being less immersed in a movie than having yeah. a water pistol squirt <laughs> water in my face whilst being shaken violently about Rumble to the packs tune of the games, loofer. Though. Ah. <laughs> It's it's baffling. And uh, you made the point way back in the day, Scott, when they were trying to sell three D as an extra when Avatar came out, um and that it, it was we were being told we were being sold the lie that it's because it was more expensive to produce three D films. Um, And you quite Mm. succinctly knocked that on the head with your observations around, you know, Titanic being the most expensive film made at the time. And I don't remember having to pay £2 extra to see it. Yeah, (laughs)
2: Um,
0: I don't know when cinemas are going to stop trying to sell us gimmicks. They either want our business or they don't. And I can't think of any other industry um, that so, um, with such poor judgment makes these decisions around trying to ask you more money for an experience that should just be a great experience to start with. As people are leaving cinemas, aside, you know, aside from how well you know the Avengers movie and these big franchises are doing, overall numbers for cinema attendance are still going down. And I don't know any other business that would not be doing everything it could to attract people back without trying to get more money out of them for it yeah, when okay. every other single gimmick they have ever tried has failed.
1: Well, rather than thinking, hmm, our business is changing, perhaps if we want to survive, we should do yes. something. It's more like they're basically collectively throwing their toys out the pram. Yeah. Especially with this nonsense with like, oh, you've put this thing on Netflix and you've not yeah. put it in the, but, but yeah, but they don't owe it to you. Yeah. Give people a reason to want to put their films in your cinemas. This- um
0: this is what's interesting for me moving forward, and I meant to mention this earlier when we were talking about one, one of the Disney points, is that I do wonder what happens when Disney decide that they want a 30-day cinema window. Or do they still make enough money past 30 days that they wouldn't just immediately want to put stuff on their streaming platforms? Because I think it's one thing Netflix coming in with their content, but and saying well we want a 30 day release window and the cinema's sticking two fingers up. I think it's quite another when Disney who are responsible for 80% of revenue through cinema doors turn around and say this and demand the same thing. Yeah. I suspect we will see some movement from the cinemas then and I also suspect it's going to happen. Yeah. Seems reasonable,
2: yeah. Yeah.
0: Um so yeah, I'll be interested to see what happens there. Um I mean ultimately at the end of the day I feel like this all boils down to consumer choice and I feel like You know, the content, the content is still there. It's just moved elsewhere. Um, And I think what happens now depends upon how people choose to vote with their money. I think just the problem I have is that historically people are terribly bad at voting with their money. Um, (laughs) Or voting. Yes. (laughs) Um, Especially when it comes to voting with their wallets, though. I think we are quite happy to, um, we are quite happy to endorse by proxy um you know the the chinese government's human rights record by um insisting that all of our consumer goods are manufactured there because it's a lot cheaper mm. uh, because they don't have a minimum wage there um and we're quite happy to turn a blind eye to that uh, and that's why our high streets are full of uh, Primarchs and various other stuff now i think I think as consumers, generally speaking, not we three, but I think the market in general values cost and convenience over all else. I don't think people are willing to necessarily pay a premium for their entertainment the way that certain other things have been polarised, such as um, the fashion market is now completely polarised in terms of either ultra cheap or um, prestige luxury brands. There is no middle ground anymore. Absolutely the same thing happening with entertainment as well, Um, certainly at a cinema level. Um, and yeah it just remains to be seen whether or not the likes of the streaming platforms if and when that cinema business becomes less financially viable whether they polarise the same way but I suspect that'll be some way out I don't know I wonder what we'll be talking about next decade I'm telling you virtual reality will yes. all, we'll
2: all be jacked into the mainframe have you seen The Matrix it's going to be like that
1: uh, I was thinking more Craig Charles <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh my god a wooga And on that <laughs> note having, having raised that spectre um, Thank you for very much for listening to An hour and a quarter of our drivel As always, if you have any feedback You are more than welcome to reach out to us Through the usual avenues uh, I won't bother to mention them uh, All other feedback All other contact is more than welcomed um, And in the meantime All that remains is for me to say thank you very much I was Craig Eastman, Scott was Scott Goodbye. And Drew was Drew
1: Hasta luego.
0: See you again soon.